From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in self-selecting but self-aware Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this week's episode, we talk to games user researcher Hannah Murphy to discuss her recent study of my game, Metro Nexus, the difference between playtesting and user testing, and how indie devs can get started with user research. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. You are our second... Games user research guest in a row. <laughs> yes, I am. It's exciting stuff. Yeah. I'm glad you think so. <laughs> I also think so. That's good. That's good that you're in something that you're enjoying. <laughs> As opposed to not. Yes. Wait, is Game that a rule here? Awesome. Yeah, I, you all have to enjoy your job. Oh, okay. All of you. Uh, <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> Are you doing it wrong? <laughs> Well, welcome to the clubhouse, Hannah. Yeah, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Yeah, so I do freelance game user research. I'm also a user experience researcher at US Bank. I do that full time, so I do game user research on the side. Um, I've been doing that for a little over a year now. I do that with indie developers, so local indie devs that I meet through Glitch, the nonprofit here. Nice. I know, and you've recently did a big study for me, and you've done work with uh, the Escape Industries folks yep, on yep. Vengeance mm-hmm. yeah. and other uh, local uh, games. We'll talk a little bit more about that later, uh, but let's do a little bit of an introduction on the topic. I think like if uh, someone's interested in gaming, uh, maybe is not interested in development and wants to do the user research side, uh, how do you get started? Similar to what Nick said, get into game user research. Uh, there's a special interest group through IGDA, it's literally GUR. <laughs> That's what we call it. G-U-R. That's awesome. So I would reach out to them and look at the mentors they have and try to get set up with one of them, someone you have uh, something in common with. So I did that a while ago with uh, Kevin Keeker from PlayStation. And we both had social psych backgrounds. So I figured he was a great fit for me. And he just kind of navigated me, I guess, from grad school to where I am now. So I didn't know where to start. I just knew I knew some research and I really wanted to do it on games. So he helped me, I guess, fill that gap in between. Okay. That's awesome. That, that tracks with Nick. Uh, he had a mentor, too, that he worked with a lot to oh, get yeah? started. Yeah. I mean, is that like a trend? Yeah. So, um, on the, so if you go to their website, it'll say it'll have careers like about game user research, different jobs that are currently open. And then like they have this whole section dedicated to the mentors. So I think it's like pretty common. I know it's picked up quite a bit. Me and Kevin officially ended ours a couple months ago. Cause he said he was getting more requests. Mm. So um, we still talk occasionally, but um, I know since I started in spring of 2015 that it's picked up quite a bit. Okay. That's cool that it's like a master apprentice sort of yeah, deal. Yeah, it, it is really cool. I, didn't, I had no idea it was a thing. I reached out because I read this article on the difference between QA and UX by Lindsay Miller. And she works at PlayStation also, or she, she worked there. And I said, how can I do this? And she recommended the GER group to me. <laughs> so the rest is history. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense that it's sort of set up that way because it's kind of a um, an unknown uh, field for a lot of people, even in gaming. So it makes mm-hmm. sense that there's like it requires that kind of a little more hands on uh, training, right? Yeah. It, like, is there what's the educational opportunities? I don't think there is right now mm-hmm. a game user research degree. I feel like there is some schooling for one that's coming out or is very new. 
Mine is actually not very traditional in mass communication. So it was more like a psychology research route, more academic. I know one other person with that degree that's in game user research. Uh, the more traditional training, though, is human computer interaction masters. That's a more traditional UX researcher degree. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so uh, as you uh, do um, work with a lot of us in this local community, I think the biggest thing that's the thing that interests me most about that is that the sort of the scale of it, right? Because user research is very much the, the larger scale it is, the more effective it is. Mm-hmm. And so it can be kind of difficult for indie games to, uh, to use that or, or know why it's important. Yeah. So, uh, like, why should someone who can only get a taste of it, if at all, why should they even care? So, it can make a huge difference in your game from start to finish. Uh, I think UX should be used the whole time or utilized. It can make or break, I guess, whether someone will actually keep playing your game. Like someone can pick it up and it might be the difference if they put the controller down and never pick it back up again for your game Mm -hmm. because of a silly usability issue that could have been fixed Mm -hmm. um, for the beginning. So it affects a lot, I guess, on how often people can play your game or how much people play your game. Right, right. And that's sort of similar to how we talk about playtesting. You sort of discover things that were obvious, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a difference here, mm-hmm. right? Like conducting yep. your own play test versus actually doing user research. And so, uh, like, what is the sort of main differences there? The major, I guess, advantage over doing game user research with someone that does it specifically is that it's uh, unbiased uh, when you're testing with people. From what mm-hmm. I understand, doing traditional play testing, it's kind of you're standing there watching people play your game or maybe watching from afar and not yeah. getting all the information you wanted to get or necessarily knowing how to get that information or to manipulate things mm-hmm. um, in the right way. So I guess just getting the information that you really want is what it comes down to from people and knowing how to improve your game and what to not improve your game based on feedback. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's especially helpful for any devs, I would think, because we have a whole, we have to wear different hats. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different things. And having somebody who's focused on just that is really useful, especially somebody outside of your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really easy to make uh, changes that aren't necessarily as well informed as someone with a research background mm-hmm. would be able to, I guess, navigate. Because um, you might be getting like, oh, you should really change this part. And it's like, I don't know, something you didn't necessarily think of. Maybe it's like the time or something. But it's like people are just saying that and you don't necessarily know that that's what they would do, like they would engage with it more. Like people just like say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we care more about like what people do. And it's really hard to get that unless you're um a third party person that knows how to, I guess, like do it more. Mm. Yeah. Like Steven, you're really good at, at being an unbiased observer when you do your own playtesting, but you're also looking for things that are biased from your perspective. Right. Yep. So is it doesn't really matter how good you are at this at the playtesting part. It's really requires that sort of outside view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just that alone makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, wh- how can an indie dev make use of user research? How do they find a user researcher? How can they set up something? What, uh, wh- what's, what's within the realm of possibility for folks like us? Yeah, so, I mean, you can either ask people if they know. <laughs> um, there's, like, only two here that I know of, me and Nick, mm-hmm. in Minneapolis. Um, otherwise, you can see if anyone knows about, like, game user research with, like, the GER group. I can, although I kind of doubt it. Can you go slack. on to the um, IGDA GER group and like ask people there? Is there someone to talk to there? Uh, it's more for mentors on there okay. uh, if you're reaching out to anyone. Um, I know that there's a LinkedIn group, but it's specifically for uh, researchers. So mm-hmm. I would 
here in Minneapolis, it would probably be through a word of mouth or through Slack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not actually sure about that. If you were to, if you were not here, and if you were to go out and find someone, I feel like you would have to navigate that somewhat through game user research. Right. And maybe you could start there. Um, we're pretty big on Twitter. That's like a way that people in game user research communicate a lot. Hmm. So maybe the game user research a special interest group though would be a good that website would be a good start though yeah well it's like any other sort of thing you want you need uh, help with music or you need help with uh, art or you need help with optimization or porting or any of those things that you as an indie dev either can't do yourself or like don't feel qualified to do yourself in the moment because of time money or whatever um, you got to look around and find find some folks and this is this is definitely a similar thing yeah mm-hmm. um, so describe a little bit what um, what a games user researcher does with a game a user researcher in general will take a product that's supposedly finished which is the difference between UX and QA um, and not look for bugs <laughs> um, I guess we look for how people interact with things with products with mm-hmm. games um, and if they're able to understand it when it's working properly what is their experience like? Are there any issues that are prohibiting them from completing a task when it's how it should be? Uh, so things like that. Mm-hmm. And what form does that take? Like mechanically, what, what happens? So one method, I guess, one that I primarily use since I typically work with smaller sample sizes is more qualitative methods. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of observation testing, um, a lot of questionnaires, sometimes surveys. A lot of just like watching and asking questions and creating certain tasks for people to do things that the developer might find concerning. So I will set up a task surrounding that mm-hmm. uh, problem area to them. Mm-hmm. And, it's like uh, developing an experiment, sounds like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're not always manipulating things though. Like that would be like more of an experiment, but it's like, it's similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've described it to me as like laboratory testing. Yeah. I do primarily lab testing. Mm -hmm. I've done it here um, at glitch. I think for all of the indie games I've worked on, Uh, I've done a couple other just like projects, not with indie devs, like for bigger games that I've done myself, like heuristic evaluations, but Mm. Um, yeah, typically I use the glitch lab here. Yeah. Glitch lab. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> In fact, it's this very room. Yeah. It's very yeah. Room <laughs> where yeah. magic happens. Another uh, shout out to all the things that glitch does for this community. Yeah. Yes. Gives us some space to do our work. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a huge help, especially to people like me who do it freelance. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like getting, have to get creative in like so many ways mm-hmm. with recruiting and with space. But luckily with space, I got it pretty much covered. Yeah. So that helps immensely. Yeah. And yeah. like you said, like you do it freelance, like just like every other lo- like thing that, you know, independent communities do, you sort of beg, borrow and steal, you do favors, you trade yes. services. Like that's sort of how you get experience, right? Yeah. The thing about UX, though, is that it's um, like I can't always do it myself. So that's where I feel like it gets it starts to get complicated where like, for example, like an artist does the drawing or whatever you're wanting them to do themselves. But we need to as UX researchers, we have to reach out to other people and um, we have to recruit most of the time. Um, the only thing I can do myself is a heuristic analysis, which is also helpful. But I always need to recruit people. So it's mm-hmm. like brings in all these other components that I have to mm. I guess figure out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That was one question I had is like in a lot of the thing like um, studies and stuff you've done, 
you have to get people who haven't played the game before. And like, we have some, like everyone in the community has played each other's games so often. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you go and find people who haven't played? (laughs) Yeah. So with Metro Nexus, I was actually very fortunate to be the old, I was the ex lead TA for the games course at the U in uh, the school of journalism and mass com. So I, uh, emailed that professor, the current professor, and was like, hey, so I used to TA for this course, and this is what I'm doing. Would this sound useful to your students? And he said, yeah. So he let me come in and talk to them and let let them know what I was doing. And if they were interested, they emailed me, and I put them on a list, basically. And um, it worked out really well. But otherwise, I'm not sure what I would have done. I'm, I would have probably posted in a forum on Facebook that's been suggested to me too, mm-hmm. but I didn't have to this time. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing because when you and I tried to do a more informal study some time ago before we did this one and I did the recruitment there trying to just, I just went on Craigslist and said, hey, who's interested in this thing? It's a couple bucks for you and, and it, I got lots of responses and I replied back to enough people and a little bit more and got confirmations and nobody showed up. Yeah. Mm. Oh my gosh. That's like one thing I would like to forget. <laughs> I like don't want to think back to those days. <laughs> it was such a bummer. And so yeah. when, so then when I was happy that you took care of it for, <laughs> for when we did it more formally and I was just like nervous, like, because it's just people are fickle, I guess. Yeah. Right. It's like, here's some money, but you want to play a video game? Apparently that's yeah. not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really like hit or miss like that. Just yeah. seeing what works. I'm like, Hey, let's try this like Craigslist. Let's see if that works. And then for this, it was just, oh, I know these this guy or I did this course, so maybe they'd be interested. I mean, they are taking a course on games, so <laughs> um, and it's really close to them, so mm-hmm. it worked out. Um, but yeah, it's a learning experience for sure. It's a learning process. So I, it's like I've, as I've been developing this last year, just figuring out, I guess, um, what works and what doesn't. Yeah, like processes and workflows and. Things yeah. like that, that there's not, it, they, you have to adapt them to your scenarios and your situation. It's not just like a guidebook necessarily. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, the Metro Nexus. Sure. Research. Yeah. I, um, so uh, Hannah, you did this report for me um, and you presented it to me and I, I felt like I, I, it was so, it felt like it was really, it focused me in a lot of ways and I, I really thought it was very valuable and I would love for our listeners to get a little bit more about what sort of what the end result of these studies can be like. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also, I, the people can learn a little bit more about my game in the process. <laughs> I certainly want to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So I did a usability study here at Glitch Labs in May. Um, it was two groups of four people, and I had four males and four females. They were all from the games course I mentioned. So their ages were like 18 to 22 or something, something like that uh very wide range in interests like for types of games for genres so i thought that would be interesting to do so it was two groups they were each an hour and i ran them through four separate tasks the first um is running through the tutorial and asking what their impressions were of what they thought um and then they had a chance to talk about it a little more at the end when i gave them an online questionnaire so with that i didn't find too much um, people aren't always willing to talk in groups. My second group was very talkative, though, however. <laughs> but we like to avoid this thing in research called groupthink, so I don't like to ask too much in front of other people when there's like a group of four of them because they're going to 
say, oh, I loved it. Oh, yeah, I loved it, too. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I just asked for their impression mostly on the game. And, uh, not trying to lead them. Overall, they felt like it was fairly wordy. That's not much to work with. but I also kind of knew that already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but we were just kind of trying to feel out. It was a, like more exploratory, that task. So mm-hmm. like, what what did they have to tell me? Like, There wasn't necessarily one thing that I was like, oh, this is an issue. Like, Let's focus on that. It was more exploratory and just seeing what people had to say. And um, like I said, in one group, they were more than happy to tell me. Even without me asking, they were very happy to tell me how they felt about everything. Um <laughs> And then the next three tasks I had were just playing, okay, so playing four-player games, playing three-player, and then two-player, mm-hmm. and then uh, watching them and how they play. Do they play more competitively? Do they play cooperatively? Which one do they like the most? Why? Um, I found it was really split, actually. People tended to really like the four-player game or two. Like, it was just weird. But then the people who liked the four really didn't like the two, so I was just like, okay, this isn't isn't doing much other than showing that people like the four-player game. Well, I um, thought what was interesting is when we were talking about it afterward that it, it really depends on the group you play with, right, yes. for multiplayer games. And so it seemed like the people, yeah, the people who loved the four-player game, sort of all, that group all loved it, and very few of them liked the two-player. And then the other group was almost the opposite. Yes. And so that seemed to, I mean, that was really interesting information. Because we also introduced the modes to them in reverse order, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we um, we started with the, I forget, on the first one we started them with four players and then did three, then two. Yeah. And that's how I've always done it in playtesting. And because four players, everyone can try it and it's sort of the chaos is like forgivable. Everyone's screwing up. So I figured it would be, no one would feel like they were at a disadvantage. And then they would just feel it out for a while and then they would get better at it and then they could do a more tactical two-player match. But I was just 100% wrong about that because that first group was very, very frustrated by the four-player because they felt like it it gave them no space to learn it. Mm. Yeah, right. And that was something that I've done lots of playtests and I never noticed that. Mm. And so it was really fascinating to get that. And so with that second group, we switched it up. And I don't know if that made a huge change. It's not perfect laboratory. (laughs) Yeah, right. But like it was very, it was illuminating uh, that that then those people liked the four-player more because they eased themselves into it. Perhaps. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I mean, I think there's something to be said about their personalities. Like I thought they were all best friends and they're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like we just met (laughs) except for two of them, two of them were friends, but Mm. they were all like talking like they'd known each other for years. And I was like, Oh, okay. They're very comfortable with each other. But Mm. then apparently they weren't (laughs) like they were, but they weren't. Well, they're friends now, right? (laughs) Yes. They're friends now. And they were very eager to do more, uh, game user research, so that was cool. They were like, how do I do more of this? <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. It's really exciting whenever people are excited about it, too, because, like, obviously I am, but <laughs> like that first group was just like, okay. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> how do you deal with that in the moment? Because you can't really intervene and cheerlead them exactly, right? Just be friendly. I mm-hmm. mean, you can't really do much other yeah. than just yourself try to make it feel as less clinical as possible (laughs) um but some people just won't get over that no matter what you do so you just got to try your best to be personable and nice and i don't know i mean you like you like games too like we have that in common so sometimes i'll try to talk to them a little about games and see what they like and small Mm -hmm. talk like that helps probably helps open them up so they're more willing to discuss what they liked and didn't like about the game yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like 
my second group, you don't need any of that. And they just start like, let me tell you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can tell me. I guess like some major findings I took away was that, oh, okay, I'll start with like more positive things. So like everybody- I can leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't tell Mark I said some of this. <laughs> um, but everyone knew like what the goal of the game was generally, which was awesome. And I found that out through the questionnaire. I, th- I found most of my findings through the questionnaire. Um, and just kind of measuring that against what I saw in person and see it's off there was much of a change, but there wasn't. So everyone knew what the goal of the game was, which was awesome. So um, what, what did they think the goal of the game was? Because <laughs> do you not know not what so the sure. goal of the game is? No, no, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about uh, Mark's game is that there are technically three goals you can go for at the same time. You can either try to uh, destroy everybody's car or you could uh, get as much, the most amount of paint, or you could mm-hmm. try to complete the entire um, stage. Um, what what did they what did they discover? Is so they is went the with the first two mostly. Okay, um, that's they what did, most people do. Yeah, from my experience. and then they did. My second group did try to do more of the third thing you were saying there. Okay, they like would um, I guess like time themselves and try to see how fast they could complete it. If yeah. that's what you were saying. Yeah. Um, so they like to do that and just see how fast they could do that. But they liked the first two, I guess, a lot. Okay. It was nice to see some, because the tutorial that uh, was basically brand new before this, this session. So I was very nervous that it would not make any sense. And one of the biggest problems I've had with the game from playtesting is those two main modes of, of goal, the um, either get the most points or uh, make the most kills. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not mutually exclusive and the game, there's no modes. You can do either one. You can do one and the other player can do another one. And that's part of the core mechanic of the game is that it doesn't tell you what to do. Uh-huh. And I always get worried that players won't discover the other modes. They'll just find the one that makes sense first and just assume that's the whole game. And I was very pleased that the players seemed to, whether they went for one or the other, they seemed to understand the existence of the others. And I, I, I like to think, and like more study is needed, but I like to think that the, t- the tutorial, like, well, itself was not a huge success. Like, <laughs> it, like in terms of people didn't, I don't think people liked it that much. I don't know if they hated it, but it did explain those things to them in a way that I could, I've never seen other playtest groups figure out on their own. And that was really exciting to see, um, especially with that second group. Like they sort of got, they sort of got the whole dimension of it fairly quickly. And normally I have to tell people those things. Hmm. And that's, that's always so sad as a game dev. It's when you have to explain your game to somebody. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't think you've described Metro Nexus here in this episode. Maybe. Not in this episode, but I can do a quick primer yeah. for, for new listeners. So Metro Nexus is a single screen uh, multiplayer battle game, I suppose. So if you know Towerfall, it's sort of similarly laid out. It's a 2D platformer on, a, on one screen, up to four players. Mm-hmm. And the platforms are uh, like Splatoon, where you can, you can paint them. I say paint, but in the game, you electrify these tracks. That's the, and the, the platforms are made up of tiles, discrete tiles, and you can see them on the screen. So as you drive over them, you, you claim them for yourself. You can also steal them from other players. And when you do that, you also power up a weapon, which you can then fire. And so the, that gives the two main goals of the game. You can either just go for territory, but it's constantly going up and down. Um, or you can actually go and try to attack your opponents. But in order to do that, you also need to uh, take tiles off the ground. And sometimes they're your own tiles. And so it has a lot of, I, I think, interacting mechanics that I'm fairly proud of. 
Um, and it makes it a little more strategic than other battle games mm-hmm. might necessarily be. Yeah. Um, the game encourages you to play competitively in those two modes, but the game actually works on an, a cooperative thing. You can attack other players, but if you don't attack anybody, as soon as all, all of you collect all of the tiles in the game, the level ends and you, the team has won. So that co-op mode is sort of something that can be discovered by people, and that's one of those things where because I don't make it so obvious through the mechanics, and frankly, it's not, it's not as fun of a mode off the bat, players very rarely discover that in a way that I want them to from a sort of story perspective. I want them to, oh, aha, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at least one of the groups especially, oh, it seemed to have got it a little bit, but one of the groups seemed to understand the difference and, and that they could choose how to play it, uh, which was pretty nice. Um, and I, I like to think the tutorial helped with that and like giving it some framing. Cause every time you ask me to describe it on the show, I'm like, do I describe it from mechanics or do I describe it from the story? Like what angle do I take it at? And I think I'm finally starting to put it together in a way that the game explains itself, which it hasn't done, uh, up to now. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. And this study really helped me like, uh, know what was working was what I thought was the way to go, but kind of didn't yield any of, or didn't seem to explain any of the results mm. and so it helped me focus going forward like how to really make that make sense for the final product something i thought was interesting speaking of the two different modes was that um one group picked up on the competitive and they really liked that and then they would switch over to cooperative and just try to paint but i thought it was interesting is that they turned the cooperative into a competitive <laughs> <laughs> and i was like Oh, that's weird. <laughs> but I mean, it's like competitive with themselves. Like they would try to beat the time. Like I was saying earlier, they would switch off the controller and they'd be like, oh man, it's like so close. Okay, you try it. Now let's see if you can do it. But it would like be competitive, which I hmm. thought was really interesting. It was just huh. not necessarily with each other. Mm-hmm. Like it was, but it wasn't because they would like pass it. I thought that was pretty cool to see. Right. They were they were going for high scores yeah, against right. each other mm-hmm. with the comp- cooperative mode. Yes. That was pretty exciting to see yeah. because that's not something I've seen explicitly done for a lot of playtest groups. I'll see groups, you know, try it a couple times to get a little faster, but like it's always just a dalliance in that mode. Then they go back to fighting. Yeah, you right. Know, to see them actually take that competitive spirit and and do the co-op mode the way it was meant to be played was kind of exciting. Didn't at one point they someone said like just let me do it myself. and see if they could because it like having all the players on unless you communicate properly you can actually not do very well right yeah and so so, like they were sort of taking upon themselves to like like uh explore like the guts of the game and try to try to master it Mm -hmm. which was pretty exciting because like that as i'm not that type of player so it was cool to see that like uh, i can i'm able to make a game that appeals to that kind of player right so tell us a little bit more about some of the other findings maybe some of the more specific so the questionnaire perhaps Yeah, so something I asked about that was also more exploratory besides the tutorial was just the the results screen and seeing where people were looking there and what they cared about. So something I found there, it was actually really interesting because it's kind of like half and half. So half the people were up looking at this pie chart um, that was different colors to see how much you colored. (laughs) And then the (laughs) other half were looking at this graphs, um, basically like how active you were. And it was just split. Like I remember asking them and someone was like, oh, I like to look at the pie chart. And someone else was just like, I look at the graph. <laughs> like, I was, like, it was like, what? <laughs> like, this is where I look. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> so I thought that was really interesting. Um, just figuring out what was important on that screen to them and finding that both of those were really important. So that was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. They were making use of the screen, even though it was kind of, 
busy. One thing I did find that was somewhat negative was uh, that there's this percentage box there. And the second group really like was adamant about figuring out what that meant. And they ultimately decided that it was um, like the ratio of time for painting versus not painting. Mm. Um, but they're pretty close to accurate. But that is definitely a thing where like that's not a quite a go back to the drawing board sort of thing. But I think I need to do a better job explaining either that it if you don't know what it is, that that's OK, because I think people don't know what it is and they feel like they missed something. Um, but. Uh, which is the that's the fault of the game is not ex, not explaining that this is weird. I think they like I should know what this is, right? And I think because they don't, that frustrates them mm. in a way that it's supposed to be a little more mysterious than just like uh, ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And so I got to do some work there, I think. But it was yeah. fun to see that they like cared. They wanted to know what it meant. Yeah, they really wanted to know what it meant, and they like <laughs> turned to me and like what? <laughs> Can't answer your questions. Yeah. Well, that but, was a great benefit is that you're not there with all the answers the way I am yes. and I can't help but provide. Right. I'm like familiar, but not like, like, um, professional <laughs> at the game, I guess I would say. So that does help. But yeah, so a recommendation I made up for that was just to, I guess, clarify things a bit more. You're going to keep them on there. So like maybe an information button or something mm-hmm. telling what the things that are unclear are. So kind of the main point of this test was to just see what issues are, what usability issues, understandability issues there were, um, and just kind of narrow it down more. I didn't really go into this test with any very specific usability issue in mind. Um, It was more just playing the game under different circumstances, different tasks, and seeing what I came out with basically from them and if there were any patterns, which is what we look for. One of the results I thought was particularly interesting was a question you thought to ask that I would not have thought to ask, which was if people were comfortable with how long each match was. Mm. I, I felt like that was like a non-question. Like, who cares? Like, it seems fine. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah, I mean, it could be shorter. And I always thought that was, well, that's dependent on the player, right? Mm-hmm. But I, you, you got some, some interesting, not totally conclusive, but like, like it opened up an area of exploration for me that I thought was fairly interesting. Yeah, so most people, I think all but one, so seven out of eight said that they would like it to be longer. Which And it's, it was on a seven-point scale, and they all chose the same number, so I thought that was very interesting. Huh. Oh. Um, so I suggested maybe making it a little longer, but I don't know, with such a small sample size, it's kind of hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was slightly longer. It wasn't like a seven, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> way longer. So um, I feel like it could go either way. Um, and you'll have to tell me, I guess, if you do more like casual play testing and you ask them about it, what mm-hmm. they say, if they say something similar, if it's like, oh, well, yeah, it could be a little longer. Yeah. Or yeah. if they're like, <laughs> really long. <laughs> 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 Minutes longer. <laughs> well, there's, a, there's an option in the game where you can choose how many uh, hit points uh, the cars have. And right now it's just between five and 10. And I think eventually I'll have it where you can fine tune five to 10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, yeah, 10 is way too many. I've seen people play with 10 uh, hit points. Rounds take forever. And so I'm like, you know, what? I'll probably cut that back. Maybe I'll do from three to six or something like that. And um, hearing that that anybody wants the matches to be longer was like, oh, maybe that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like, uh, but it's really, it's very dangerous to overinterpret these results. Oh, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have to be careful about that. Um, but there was a, I remember there's a slight correlation between how much people enjoyed the game and, ha- mm-hmm. and if they wanted it to be longer. Right. Which is sort of a natural inclination. But generally, uh, even the people who were not, Maybe it wasn't their, you know, they were like, they didn't like it quite as much. Many of them wanted it a little longer too, right? Yep, right. Yeah. Seven so out of eight. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, there's not like, an, like a 
plan of action with that exactly. And because they are sort of like uh, results, I shouldn't just take as gospel necessarily, mm -hmm. but it definitely like it, it, it gives me questions to answer going forward, which yep, I think is exactly. really important. And that I think is something that I found fascinating about uh, doing this at a small scale is being very aware of what the limitations are and, and what it, and the value it can actually provide mm -hmm. rather, rather than try to treat it as like the end result of, of, you know, it's not answering the question, it's asking them and then helping you focus going forward. Yep, exactly. Right? That's exactly what it does. Yep. Mm -hmm. So narrowing down what to focus on for the future and um, seeing how that plays out. Maybe you test again and maybe frustratingly, hopefully not find out that that's not really an issue, but in another session you found it was. So ideally it should help you narrow down questions, um, areas to focus on. Right. And so. that makes it a lot easier to work on things. So you don't have to work on all of this fancy stuff you think that players will really enjoy and um, it ends up not really adding to the game much at all yeah. yep. in players' eyes. That's important stuff. Right. Now I will say I, I have to admit to like a psychological component where just like seeing and this happens in playtesting too. Yeah. But it's a little bit of a stronger feel when there's somebody else presenting your game for you. Um, seeing people enjoy it is like incredibly validating yeah. in a way that like is not quantifiable and but it's just important to know that like I'm not screwing this up. Like I'm not yeah. Like there's things I need to fix, there's things I need to address, there's decisions I need to make. But it's the core is kind of there, right? And and as it doesn't matter how many times you hear that from your friends, or how many times playtesters are like polite to you and say this is great. Sure, I'd spend four dollars on it, but um, but to see just people came in and like with no expectations and will and perfectly happy to talk bad about it and given much space and permission to do so, to see them have a good time is incredible. Um, but speaking of cost, that was another interesting question. People, people priced yeah. my game, which uh -oh. is so weird. I, I mean, I, I'm a. This would be my first big release, and I'm like, two dollars. Like, please buy it. <laughs> but like, people had interesting re response to that, right? It was quite a range. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> um, again, it's not like gospel, like you were saying. It's like um, a nice idea, because I mean, anyone can say like how much they would spend, and then versus actually spend. So yeah. it was more just to see if there was like a trend, I guess. Hmm. Um, but it's kind of all over the place. I think it was like from five to twenty dollars mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, but it was all over. It was not what I expected. There wasn't. There was no trend. So that would be something I guess to explore a little bit more in the future. Um, why? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are they thinking? <laughs> mm -hmm. I would love to know that. What are they thinking when they're like? What are they associating this game with that they know? Like, oh, it's similar maybe to this game. So like, I would say it's like around that price point that maybe this other game is or whatever they're thinking. Um, yeah. Like, is this how much I would spend for it today? Yeah. If, if I was offered in the moment, or is this how much I would charge for it? Right. Or is this how right. much I would expect to see it on steam? Like I think people have different, and that's another thing that was really, it must be really interesting for you when you do these tests is to, to, to see like the types, just like when I put in a feature and then I see people use it and then that gives me, Oh, I know, I know how to adjust that. You have the same kind of thing when you design these studies, like you know what to ask in the next study. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Hopefully, <laughs> unless we find no trends, yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, now where, now where do we go? Right. So you just got to keep exploring. Sometimes in that case, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I have a question. Um, have you done games user research at a game jam? No, before? I haven't. Ah, okay. I was I was curious as to how that would work because like game jams are you're so time or they're so time sensitive because you only have twenty four hours or forty eight hours or however long. I was wondering if there was like a way to implement games user research in a game jam. You can oh. have like a room set aside and you have just five people <laughs> whose just 
I just came to the game jam to be a tester. Yeah. Oh my god. And you'd run that room, <laughs> and then every couple hours, some frantic person who is way too tired would come in like, "Here's a build." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, like a half hour later, you'd give them a quick executive summary. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and you'd be like, yes. "Okay, they like this. They didn't like this. Like, doesn't matter. We cut all that out." <laughs> that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. I've never thought of that at a game jam, but. I would totally do that. That would be really fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, a game jam is meant to give you a taste of everything. Like, mm-hmm. why would be a good way to indoctrinate people into thing like this is important. Yes. Right. right. It takes time. Yeah. And, and no one wants. Yes. To, you don't want to do it, but it's important. It yeah. matters, right? Yeah. Right. That would be really cool to do. I don't know how I would go about getting participants. Now I'm like thinking of the logistics. <laughs> of the I'm like, how would I get people to sign up for that? Like, I'd have to convince people to go out to said game jam. <laughs> So, and how would I compensate them? I'd have to like convince the devs in advance that it's worth compensating or maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they'd just get a copy of the game. I don't know. Yeah. Well, well, they just, they'd get the free food that's there. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah those college students would probably mm-hmm. be something to try at the global game. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, my boyfriend Dylan, <laughs> he's tried a couple of game jams and he's found it frustrating because he doesn't feel like he has enough time to make anything that he He's very perfectionist, so he wants to like have things perfect. Um, but he would probably be interested, or other people who find game jams kind of frustrating, but like playing games, mm-hmm. or are like, I want to come for an hour and check out people's games. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you could probably get people. Well, there's definitely people who who go to game jams and be hired guns. They go from team mm-hmm. to team and just add a little help. Like, yeah. those are the type of people who could then also do that. Yep. Or maybe people who are just interested and like it's their first game jam and they just want to experience it mm-hmm. without a lot of the stresses and pressures. Right. Like that might be a good first timer kind of program. And then it's like, hey, uh, you've been here for six hours. You tested a couple of little first things. Uh, you can go, go join a group now. Like, yeah. You know, let people be sort of fluid with it. You'd have to, I mean, you really would have to break a lot of the rules of laboratory procedure to like, <laughs> but you, you know, it still sort of work. It's okay. We do, we do stuff like that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on this. It's situational, but yes. Yeah. It wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't be like this, not as proper or formal yeah. as the lab, the glitch lab. <laughs> I mean, we're all breaking rules of the game jam anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> you wouldn't be any different. Mm-hmm. I'd be one of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it highlights that, yeah, I mean, at, at this, at this scale, you have to be creative in how yes. you do these and make sure that you design it in a way that is le- legitimate and can answer questions. And again, it's self-aware about the limitations. Yeah. Right. Yep, yeah. exactly. As long as you're aware of the limitations, then everything seems to go much more smoothly. Yeah. So Cool. Well, we got through that without uh, you relaying a ton of the negative findings. So that's, <laughs> that's good. Maybe intentional. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Who's to say? Yeah. <laughs> and you've done, you've done other smaller studies for the other games around here. What, uh, do you have any stories? Anything interesting, say, with Finjins, perhaps? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was so long ago. Um, not super. I guess the only thing, it's not like an interesting story, but I guess a difference with your game. I tried something totally different. Um, and again, it's part of like the process of of growing as a researcher. Mm -hmm. Um, I did it totally different. Like I did it in like a document and I, it was just much more like fluid. And I was like, this is my findings. (laughs) You can't see, but I'm like throwing (laughs) throwing it at them. I was like, this is my findings. But yours was much more, I guess, like, um, when I was presenting it, much more structured, not that one was a PowerPoint. Yeah, it was a PowerPoint. (laughs) I presented it on a PowerPoint, which is not like typically what I do, but um, either is fine, but it's just, I guess, like more figuring out a 
what I gel well with um, mm-hmm. and what I prefer and what um, the people I'm working with prefer. Right. Um, Cause that's another thing. Like it's like getting creative again. It's like, it's different depending on who your client is. Uh, it's even like that at the bank. Some people are like, no, I don't, I don't care about the PowerPoint. Just <laughs> tell me what you know. Yeah. Like, right. So um, you just have to adapt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it sounds like there aren't um, there aren't particular standards necessarily for these types of things, e- even in like at the bank, like industry focused uh, user research. Yeah. Right. And kind of every test is different. Yeah. Every yeah. test is different, and um, I found that even at GDC when I went and at the Game User Research Summit out there. And I was talking to different researchers at AAA companies and asking about kind of their practices and comparing it mm-hmm. with my own. And they have like the same thing. It just depends on who the person is and what communication works the best. Uh, it's different for everyone. That's something that's been challenging as a researcher is talking to people ha- who have different roles with games sometimes right. um, and really seeing where they're coming from. Like they can explain it and stuff, but I don't always truly understand all these different perspectives. Yeah. Um, so like you as like a developer might have different goals than like anyone who does like art or like maybe voiceover work, like things like that. Like the goals are like, obviously you all want to make an awesome game, but like right. the goals like of exactly what you do vary yeah. slightly. Yeah. I know you, uh, you really like in our meetings before the sessions, when you were designing the things you were, you asked me a lot of questions that are nail me down on some of those things. I think I was kind of difficult because I was, <laughs> but I really appreciated like how much you cared about that, about like, uh, you know, you want to come up with the study to, to be the objective third party observer, but it's no good if you're not answering the questions I need answered. And Gosh. so like that, it, that is hard, I think, to do. It is like more interpersonal stuff than you probably expect when you do that kind of work, right? Yes. Uh, strong communication skills. <laughs> That's like the worst. That's like the researcher's worst dream is getting to the end of a study and doing your report and they're like, that's nice, but that didn't answer my questions. It's like, no, <laughs> then you've, you've truly failed as a, a researcher and you didn't really hear what they said mm-hmm. or you didn't, uh, there was a miscommunication or misunderstanding somewhere. Mm. Right. So right. that's like the last thing I would ever want to happen. <laughs> so. Well, no, the, 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 the hardest time I had with that is actually, like you sort of asked me like, well, what do you need to know? And I'm like, what do I need to know? <laughs> and it was, I was like, I was thinking out loud so much during those conversations, like trying to find out like, and it was so useful for me. Just that alone was really useful for me. And so if for no other reason, like, you know, just, uh, it, I don't know. I mean, if you think about, um, like you say, it's hard to find a user researcher, but is there a way you could sort of ad hoc it? Like just find a friend, like to, to sort of be that sounding board. Like, is that something that um, I mean, maybe it's not good in untrained hands, but yeah, <laughs> like I, just some of those little things that uh, were sort of ancillary to the experience were also really helpful. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. I think it could be useful. I mean, yeah. take a friend out to coffee or something and just talk at them. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> think out loud about things. We're yeah. all we're all amateurs in the end. So <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so Hannah, people are going to want to know more about you and your work, and maybe get in touch with you so you can provide the services you provided to me for them. How are they going to do that? Where do they find you on the internet? Yeah, so the best way to get at me is at Twitter. Uh, my handle is H underscore J Murphy. Uh, otherwise, you can check out my blog I have for game user research. It's hannahjmurphy.blogspot.com. Cool. I will thank you for being on the show and Yay. for enlightening. Like <laughs> yeah. I said, it's, uh, we're doing, we did these two guests in a row on this topic, and it feels like we barely scratched the surface. Yeah, um, but so hey, much. Thanks for helping us dig a little deeper. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. welcome. Thanks for having me. 
That is our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Nice Games Club and your favorite podcast app. Be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or a nice like us. We do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends to. Hannah, will you leave us a review? Will you tell all your friends to? I will. Okay, thank you. People were asking me how they could listen to this live. Oh, ah. <laughs> I'm not sure we're ready for live. <laughs> well, we did one live. Well, we were barely re- ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Saltzmans. <laughs> uh, of course, if you want to give us feedback, Stephen, how can they do that? Nicegames.club slash feedback. Which has been a smashing success, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. We've gotten all the feedback. <laughs> I asked Nick about, Nick about that at the, in the last interview. Got a little bit of information on it. Haven't, hasn't really paid off yet, but like we'll how, see. how to get our danged listeners to yeah. fill out the feedback form. Right. All of them danged listeners. You danged listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Nicegames.club slash feedback. Martha, what's that? Nicegames.club slash feedback. We're going to see how, oh, we're trying repetition. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, you can also talk about uh, the show and this episode in particular on Reddit at r slash game dev. We post the show notes every week. You can find the link to that in the show notes on our site, nicegames.club, uh, or just go to r slash gamedev on Mondays, maybe Tuesdays when we post the shows. Uh, we also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things, at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing, send us your topics, and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show, your nice hosts, our nice guest, as well as all the links and notes from this episode and others at nicegames.club. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.